Well, we'll still be continuing with Deuteronomy chapter 33 in a few moments. But there's just a very interesting thing happened during this week, and I'm sure you all were aware of it. There was a memorial service uh, in Arizona for those uh, people who had been massacred by the gunman. But there was something very sinister really went on. And here's a, a note which came in as the Catholic doctor explains the Native American prayer he delivered at Arizona Memorial at Tucson. And it was this service was manipulated by the university and obviously by uh, politicians into something which was really quite grotesque. Do you know that everybody attending in the main hall got a t-shirt, an Arizona University t-shirt, costing thousands of pounds to provide these t-shirts. The whole thing was stage managed. And Obama came along and then delivered his speech and they were clapping and cheering. It wasn't like a memorial service, a normal memorial service. Very strange. You know when the, the, the Muslim uh, army officer massacred his fellows, there was no great memorial service to that because the people reckon uh, Obama would have had to criticise the Muslim. But he's quite prepared to come along to this and it was stage managed. But one of the most sinister things was there were Catholics and Jews and Protestants killed in this. But they did not seem to have any input into the service. I'm going to read this. Wednesday night's memorial service for the shooting victims at Tucson did not open with a prayer from a Jewish rabbi, a Protestant minister or a Catholic priest. It began with a Native American blessing that left many people puzzled about what it meant and why it was performed. The prayer which did not use the word God and did not make the traditional request for God's comfort for the bereaved that many might have expected, did mention the Creator and called for honouring the seven directions, including Father Sky and Mother Earth, and remembering our fellow creatures who crawl on the earth and slither on the earth. The blessing was presented by Dr. Carlos Gonzalez, an associate professor at the University of Arizona College of Medicine. I was asked by the university to give a traditional Native American blessing. Gonzalez said last Thursday, this is the type of blessing that we give at memorial services to open up a ceremony. A medicine man will do a variation of it to open up a powwow. It's basically a recognition of the powers of the seven directions and how they influence human beings and how each direction has a certain characteristic that when you pray to that direction you ask for the inspiration that comes from that direction. The eight-minute oration Gonzalez prayed Wednesday before a crowd of more than 14,000 at the University of Arizona's McHale Memorial Center 
may have sounded strange to many people. Holding an eagle feather, the physician and professor began by introducing himself at length. On my mother's side, I am a Mexican. A child of the descendants of a pioneer family from Mexico that came in the 1800s. On my father's side, I'm Yaki, Y-A-K-U-I. Refugees from Mexico that escaped the genocide of the Pasco Yaki in the 1800s. For myself, I am fifth generation in the valley of Tucson. And now this is all he's saying at this memorial service for victims of this massacre. It's completely uh, strange. Gonzalez then gave honour to the various directions of the compass. Let's begin by honouring the eastern door, from where we get visions and guidance. May each of us get the vision and guidance to proceed in a good way, Gonzalez prayed. He also asked for strength from Father Sky, which he called the masculine energy, and Mother Earth, the feminine energy. O Creator, made the two energies, the masculine energy and the feminine energy, come together in our centre where the Creator exists. For each of us has a piece of the Creator. Please, you have given each of us a gift. May we use these gifts to keep to help our fellow human beings, he prayed. Gonzalez's prayer also mentioned ancestors and said, Let us not forget our fellow creatures, including those that stand, those that blow in the wind, those that are tall and stately, those that crawl on the earth, and those that slither on the earth, and those that live under the earth, as well as to those who swim in water and fly in the sky. He gave an interview and he explained the meaning behind what he was doing in the blessing. The seven directions are basically the cardinal directions. Father Sky, which is above us, and Mother Earth, which is down below us, and the seventh direction, which is the centre where the Creator exists. It's basically a way of acknowledging God's creation, and it's a way of acknowledging by honouring those cardinal directions and what they have to say to us, he added. For example, the east is where the sun comes up in the morning, and as the sun comes up it lights the path of the world, therefore the east is seen as having the power to guide us and to give us vision and to help us through as we walk on this earth. Uh, It would be a mistake, however, to call the Native American beliefs he was expressing a religion. Gonzalez said, it's not truly a religion, it's more of a way of appreciating spirituality. I'm Yaki, and Yaki's have been Roman Catholics since 1650. We are one of the first tribes in Mexico to actually absorb peacefully Catholicism. However, We have always practiced Catholicism in our own unique manner, incorporating traditional beliefs, and so so I grew up as a Roman Catholic with a Yaqui variation. 
In reality, I'm Catholic. But the spirituality I've come across with traditional healers is one of the most beautiful things I've seen. And it's a way of approaching people and it's an additional way of healing that has actually helped me to be a better family doctor. None of the victims of Tucson massacre were known to be Yaki. Moreover, no rabbi, Catholic priest or Protestant minister, the known religions of the victims was included in the memorial program. Gonzalez said the idea for a Native American blessing came from University of Arizona President Robert Shelton. President Shelton was a, has a Native American advisor here at the university to deal with American Indian health policies in Arizona. And he asked her if someone could come and do a traditional blessing. Gonzalez told the news uh, reporter, she's heard me do these blessings before in other places. And so she recommended my name. The invitation to pray came late on Tuesday and he accepted. The way we believe and the traditional way is that if somebody asks, you cannot refuse, so I accepted. Gonzalez repeated that he is not a shaman or medicine man and had to obtain permission from tribal elders to do what he did. I'm just a regular medical man. I teach family medicine here at the College of Medicine. But what's happened is that in my path towards getting a better appreciation of healing and healing knowledge, I've actually interacted with medicine men to see how they approach people who are ill and unwell. So I've learned a lot of their philosophy of healing and their philosophy of life. Meanwhile, he said, the creator he mentioned in the prayer is, whoever your particular denomination deems to be the important entity. For Native Americans, it's the creator of the universe in Christian denominations, it would be God. And this is the prayer that he prayed. Just one more bit more about it. Dr. Angelo Tarango, a religious studies rector at Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, explained that Gonzalez's prayer may have sounded strange to the uninitiated, but was actually very much in keeping with traditional Indian blessings. In traditional native religion, there is a sense that the world needs to be balanced. It needs to be in sync with everything. And when something terrible happens, it needs to be rebalanced properly. She defended Gonzalez's lengthy autobiographical introduction by saying that traditional Native American culture demanded it. You have to do that in Native culture. When you come in you don't just come in not saying who you are you have to say where you come from. Outsiders who work with Native people understand this. 
they have to say, I am so-and-so, and I am from so-and-so people. It's a sense of what people you are from. There's no question, she said, that Native American spirituality is different. In it, one opens spiritual doors to go through to different realities in the natural world. In the native view of the world, there is no heaven and no hell. So when you die, you go on to be with your ancestors in the next world, which is a lot like the world that you leave, but it's a lot nicer. And you're there with the spirits of your ancestors. That's what he's saying, that in some sense, that the ancestors greeted the spirits of these people that passed away and have taken them into the spirit world. Gonzalez, in the meantime, says his invocation was simply to bring positive energy into a gathering of that type. I wasn't trying to give a lecture to anybody. It was a prayer. It was simply a prayer. And it has raised quite a few eyebrows. But it suited somebody like President Obama to have somebody like that there. Uh, a negative sort of approach. Well, you can think about that. We're going to think about Deuteronomy chapter 33. And we read from verse 18. A short reading initially just here. Verse 18. And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar, in thy tents. They shall call the people unto the mountain. There they shall offer sacrifices of righteousness. For they shall suck out of the abundance of the seas, and of treasures hid in the sand. Maybe we'll read it from the uh, American Standard. Of Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going forth, and Issachar in your tents. They will call people to the mountain. There they will offer righteous sacrifices. For they will draw out of the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures in the sand. We come to the blessing of Zebulun and Issachar. Zebulun means exalted. He was the tenth of the sons of Jacob, the sixth and the last one by Leah. And Issachar was the fifth son of Leah. So they were very close. They were the fifth and sixth sons of Leah and uh, the ninth and tenth sons of Jacob. The blessing is a joint blessing to these two tribes, so we'll treat them as a joint blessing. So let's have a look at this blessing and see if we can uh, see something in it this morning which will encourage us as we go through this life. Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. It would appear from this blessing that these tribes would also be a blessing to those people around them. Because of that, he says, rejoice. 
be happy. It was a cause for them to rejoice, and this was to occur in two separate ways. As they went out amongst the people, and as they were in their tents. I was reminded of Psalm 121 when I was doing this. Reminded of that lovely psalm, Psalm 121, verse 8, the last verse of the verse, and I think it is in 121. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. It says there, Rejoice, Zebulun, in thy going out, and Issachar in thy tents. The psalmist says, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in back into your tents from this time forth and even forevermore. You know, as Christians, we're called to go out amongst the unsaved, or goings out, to tell forth the glorious gospel of the saving and keeping power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, Go ye into all the world to preach the gospel. We are people who should be going out into the world. Equally, we are called to those who live in the tents around us. Here at home. You know, in our minds, somehow we separate these two opportunities and responsibilities. Oh yes, we support and pray for those who serve the Lord, who've gone out to places like Africa and India and elsewhere. But in some way, we differentiate between, in our minds between that and our next door neighbour. And having these precious opportunities for you and me should be, like it was here for Zebulun and Issachar, rejoice, a time of rejoicing. But, you know, is it that the way we look at it? Or do we regard our work as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ here at home as something which has to be done or even attempted in a, an unhelpful manner, an unwilling manner? I was thinking about this. You know, we, we pray for missionaries in Africa but how often do we hear people praying for those who work with their neighbours day by day? Turn to Romans chapter 5 and we'll read some very good reasons why we should be a people who rejoice. First one. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto you. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. 
But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now have received the atonement. What a wonderful time for rejoicing we should have if we really take those verses to heart. That when we were enemies of God, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're justified by his blood. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It goes on. We also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We are at one with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it says here about tents. It's interesting to look at the place of tents in the life of the children of Israel. Tents were where they lived, where they entertained each other. They were generally very hospitable places. The tabernacle, that building, in the centre of the camp of Israel was a tent where God desired to dwell among his people. You know, one of the main points about living in a tent was the fact that it is a temporary abode. It was something which was not permanent. Our, our homes places where the unsaved are welcome, where they feel that they can come for spiritual food. Tents were hospitable places in the Middle East. As we entertain our friends in our homes, I wonder, is there any difference to the way we are entertained by them? Do they notice any difference in our homes? What is our attitude to our tents? Are we very comfortable down here on earth and have we lost sight of the reason why we are here and the purpose why we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ here on this earth? Have we become too comfortable in our tents? You know, earthly ambassadors may be recalled at any time to the country where they are citizens. Are we ready for that call if that call came today? Forever with the Lord, amen, so let it be. Life from his death is in that word, tis immortality. 
Here in this body pent, absent from him I roam, yet nightly pitch my moving tent, a day's march nearer home. You know, the Ark of the Covenant, we have the story in the Old Testament, had been taken captive. We mentioned this a few weeks ago. Had been taken captive. And eventually the Philistines sent it back. And then it stayed away from Jerusalem for many, many years. David at one stage tried to bring it back and uh, sinned against God and the way it was being carried and then it stayed a while in another backwater of Israel. And then the time came when David decided he would bring the ark back to Jerusalem. First Chronicles 16 verse 1 we read, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. David prepared a place for God to dwell among his people. He made a particular tent for the ark and it was pitched and he put the ark inside it. It was just an amazing thing to my mind that the ark had stayed away from Jerusalem for such a long time. The place where God had said that he would dwell amongst his people was just put into a backwater. But then God touched David's heart and he prepared this tent and it was brought back, the ark was brought back with great rejoicing back to Jerusalem. You know, the amazing thing is that God still wants to dwell with man today. To dwell in our hearts and in our lives. He, de- he desires to dwell in the midst of our lives. Going back to Deuteronomy 33 and verse 19. These people, it said, were to rejoice in their going out and in their tents. Is God dwelling in our hearts and in our lives? And these people, it says then in verse 19, they shall call the people unto the mountain and they shall offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Today as we go out amongst the people in this world and as we have people in our tents, we call people to Mount Calvary. It was at Mount Calvary where Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Those who accept him as their Lord and Saviour will offer sacrifices of praise to God. They call these people to the mountain. And there they offered sacrifices of righteousness. We talk about the fish of the sea, the abundance of the fish of the sea and the sand along the seashore. The sea with its abundant fish. 
and the sand which speaks to us of the millions of people throughout the world and these people Zebulun and Issachar was going to draw out from these people those who wanted to worship God at the mountain and to offer sacrifices to him we go out to fish in the abundance of the sea of life and seek out people from the sand of the seashore to call out from there people who will follow the Lord Jesus Christ to be part of the church the bride of Christ in Hebrews 13 we read wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Let us bring people to Mount Calvary, where they can see the Lord Jesus Christ, and where he died for them. Just a final point in closing. We read in Acts 18 about Paul. It says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. For Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. Paul came to them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought. For their occupation, they were tent makers. Apparently Claudius had been quite friendly towards the Jews, but they had been problems with the, the, the Jews and the Christians and the Jews were sent out from Rome and this man Aquila and Priscilla his wife came from, to Italy and there they came to Corinth and they met up with Paul because they were tent makers they worked as they preached the gospel I felt this was such a change from what we see today with the, these televangelists with their jets and expensive lifestyles. When Paul went to Corinth, he worked with his hands and Aquila and Priscilla worked alongside him, making tents and selling them and existing as they preached the gospel. Paul was a tent maker. And he supported himself on his journeys. And this godly couple were of the same trade. But you know, what they were doing physically 
they were also doing spiritually. The three of them were working and they set up a spiritual tent in which to bring any new convert to the local church. And it was in this situation Christians grew in faith and in the knowledge of God in the local tent where God was worshipped and where they met together in the name of Jesus. They were not only physical tent makers, they were spiritual tent makers. Paul set up many spiritual tents on his journeys and laboured in them for the Lord. They became places where people could grow in the knowledge of God. May each one of us set up spiritual tents, spiritual homes, where we may nurture those of our friends and those saved from this wicked world and provide sanctuary for them. Just as the, the cities of refuge provided refuge for those who needed it in the Old Testament days. May our houses, may our homes be places, tents, where people can come and learn more about Jesus, learn more about God and his love and sanctuary from this wicked, evil world. Zebulun, rejoice. May we rejoice today in all that God has done for us. And may we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. <laughs>